Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, welcome back. The Swing is back because the Badger basketball team is also back. They're getting their exhibition season going on Sunday against UW-Eau Claire. They get the season going the following week. A lot of new faces, a lot of new things happening with the team. Uh, we are back to talk about it, but uh, we got a, a better source uh, than us to talk about it. That is uh, Wisconsin coach Greg Gardy joins us here in a little bit. Uh, we, we got into a ton of different things uh, with him, Jesse. It was I thought it was a really good conversation. Yeah, it was excellent. Uh, Greg Gard making his debut on the program. Uh, it's a big step for us, I feel like, <laughs> validating in some in some form. But uh, yeah, we talked. We, we covered a lot of topics and uh, I hope listeners enjoy. Yeah, we uh, so that's coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but uh, before we get to him, I, I just want to give a little bit of a, a primer for the Wisconsin basketball team because there are some changes. Obviously, you have a number of guys coming back from a team that won the big or won a share of the Big Ten last year, but you're missing the two biggest names, and that is Brad Davison and, and and Johnny Davis. When you look at the at what's left, Jesse, um, I feel like there's there's interesting talent, there's interesting names, there's interesting uh, storylines to follow with Tyler Wall and Stephen Crowell and and Chucky Hepburn. But what stands out for you when you're looking at this team and, and moving into this 2022-2023 season? I think the big question from the outside is how does Wisconsin develop the players to fill in for what the Badgers lost with Johnny Davis and, and Brad Davis? And obviously Greg Gard doesn't necessarily look at it in the exact same way, but Davis, a top 10 NBA pick, he averaged almost 20 points per game, an All-American. Brad Davison, a multi-year starter who did so many different things for this program on and off the floor, that's almost 34 points per game that you don't have now. So who's going to step into those roles? Certainly the three guys with experience that you mentioned are going to be key to doing that. But you have so many new faces. You've got transfers coming in. You've got true freshmen. And that's part of the early portion of this season is Greg playing multiple players to determine who's going to be part of the pecking order. But to me, that is the overarching question is, where does that support come from, from two guys that were valuable to this program? What would you be your answer at this point, having not seen a single uh, minute of game action at this point? Well, obviously, it starts with increased production from Tyler Wall, Stephen Crowell, and Chucky Hepburn. I, I think Chucky was incredible as a freshman for him to come in and do the things that he did. He's going to take on a greater ownership in the offense. I think we've seen that he can be capable of scoring, especially when he gets going early. But Tyler and Stephen, and beyond that, that's part of the question mark is Jordan Davis, somebody who can come in and, and be a consistent three point shooter and help them in that capacity. Max Klesman to me, the transfer from Wofford is somebody who uh, is going to be a key contributor, but how is that going to fit Kamari McGee, a point guard from green Bay? I think those are some of the guys that I'm looking to see how they take the next step. And even a Connor Seijan, an, another question mark here, simply because he's a true freshman an outstanding scorer and three point shooter in the state of Indiana can he come in and adjust to the college game? So there are a ton of question marks with guys who either haven't been a part of the program before or have been a part of the program but have had more of a minimal role. So of those three guys, Stephen Crowell, Tyler Wall, Chucky Hepburn, do you look to Tyler to really take that step up? Um, he's He obviously averaged 11 points a game. He was, uh, you know, at times, at times, a real bully, being able to back guys down and, and kind of get what he wanted inside. 
is he the guy that you're looking at and saying he, he's the guy? He is he's going to be the one that that leads them in scoring. He's going to be the one that leads them just overall as a team, or is it is it Chucky or is it uh, Stephen Crow? I I mean, obviously, one of these guys has to be the leading scorer, and I would probably <laughs> right. I would probably pick Tyler. But I feel like this is the type of team where it can be any of those guys on a given night, and and maybe even a handful of other players if they're hot, but. Tyler would be the one to me. He's so versatile. He's he's probably one of the most versatile players in the in the conference, certainly from a defensive standpoint. And you see the way that he can fluster opponents with the way he can score inside. If he continues to expand his offensive game, absolutely, I think he's he would be my bet to be the leading scorer. But we got a whole season to figure out who that's going to be. And again, I think it'll be multiple players um, depending on the, the opponent. Well, and as usual, it's not all about offense for Wisconsin. It's about correct the defensive side of the ball. Greg Gard has said throughout this preseason that he thinks they could be very, very good defensively. Uh, he mentioned to us in our in our talk that's coming up here in a little bit that he thinks they can be really, really good on the perimeter. You know, as good as Wisconsin was last year in winning that that Kobe Ten championship, and as good as Johnny was on the offensive end, and, and Brad as well. Johnny was also a very, very good defender. So you're you're not just repl- and a rebounder for for a guy his size. So you're not just replacing him on the uh, on that end. When I when I think about though the guys that they have backed defensively, Tyler Wall and, and Chucky Hepburn, I feel like can be elite defenders. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. That's something that those guys excelled at in high school, and sometimes there are certain traits that I think you just have to have. Obviously, Wisconsin's coaching staff is able to hone defensively how good these guys are and but some people have it coming in right and I think those are two guys that had it and I would expect them to be able to defend at a pretty elite level and be able to defend multiple players but I think that's if you're a Badgers fan certainly encouraging that Greg's perspective is from the perimeter there are a lot of good players defensively Um, and you know another player that we haven't mentioned who I think is going to have a much better season a healthier season is Jacoby Neath somebody who came in as a transfer last season and didn't necessarily maybe put up the production that he wanted but that's another player that's going to be an important part of that backcourt and, and helping them both offensively and defensively. I think one major area of concern at least for me would be behind Stephen Crowell just because last year you had Chris Vote, and they obviously attempted to go out and, and get some help to be able to have uh, in the transfer portal another big that could potentially, you know, be in there. Because obviously you lost two other guys, Matthew Morris and Ben Carlson in the transfer portal, and, and Matthew Morris hadn't played. And I don't know if he was, ever was going to. Uh, as we know, Ben Carlson struggled at at times, but he was a big that you could throw in there. Right now. Uh, based on the practice, and again, I have only seen one practice. Uh, COVID kind of screwed me uh, in some of the being able to view some of the other things. But Carter Gilmore, I think, is going to play a lot, and uh, uh, you could see him down there. And then obviously Chris Hodges as well. I think that backup spot behind Stephen Crawl, and you know, having another big, they don't really have another true big uh, to be able to throw at guys, especially if Stephen Crawl were to get into foul trouble, which was at times an issue last year, and it allowed. Uh, you know, Chris Vote to come in and and kind of uh, save them at times. And it's a situation, at least at this stage, where it sounds as though there will be perhaps a bit of a rotation in Carter Gilmore, Tyler, who can play. I mean, he can guard one through five. He's been doing that since high school. And then um, Chris Hodges, another name that we haven't mentioned. He redshirted last season. It sounds as though he's come a long way in his first year in the program. 
But to your point, I think Carter Gilmore is going to be one of those players who gets more consistent minutes, not necessarily a big score in college. He averaged 0.9 points per game in the minutes that he did get last season. But if he can come in and just kind of bang with the fives, uh, especially in the Big Ten, which we know how physical this conference can be, make just challenge them and get rebounds. I think that's perhaps what you're looking for and the occasional bucket at the basket. Uh, But that. That's the situation that Wisconsin finds itself in entering the season is, you know, you've got more of a proven commodity in Stephen Corral at the five and behind him, you perhaps might have a rotation and it might be a game to game situation on what you think the best matchup is. But Gilmore is going to be a factor in that equation. Yeah. And Craig has, has said potentially, I mean, 12 deep, you're not going to play 12 on an uh, every night, but it could be different guys on different nights. And I feel like that's always I don't want to call it a cliche early in this, an early season cliche, but it kind of is where this team is going to have so much depth and that you end up usually only playing uh, seven, eight, nine at the most, right. On a, on a regular basis. But uh, one guy that's going to be in the starting lineup, at least to start the year is Jordan Davis, who did not see as much, you know, didn't see a ton of time. He, he was, he was uh, uh, a nice little guy you could throw in and he could, he cover you some minutes, but, um, is going to be given an opportunity for a bigger role this year. What do you envision that being? Well, I think last year, and it's tough when you come in and don't necessarily know how many minutes you're going to get or how many shot attempts you're going to get. He shot 28% from three-point range. He can be much better in that area. I think that's something that he can excel in for this team just as a shooter. I think this year is going to be a totally different experience for him, certainly with Johnny no longer here. He's out in Washington. He's in the NBA. And Jordan can carve out a path for himself. I think with him, it'll be a matter of consistency um, and not letting what happens offensively impact you defensively, which is something Greg uh, has said and told us. Um, I think my expectation is just more consistency from him. And and in a greater opportunity, that may come because, like I said earlier, they are going to need some different players to step up without Johnny and Brad on this roster. Again, we had a chance to talk with uh, Greg Gar for about a half an hour, and uh, we got we dove into a lot of what we've talked ar- uh, about already, and he gave a lot uh, further insight into that. So let's let's get to that now, and then on the other side, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what the Big Ten has looked like or will look like, and and whether uh, the Badgers are going to make the NCAA tournament. Going to put Jesse on the spot again, but first, before then, here is Wisconsin coach Greg Gar. And we do welcome in Wisconsin coach Greg Gard here on The Swing. His first appearance on The Swing. Uh, Greg, when we started this uh, six years ago, we felt pretty good about the name. Um, obviously, the offense has evolved over the years. I'm just wondering uh, if we're still good to call this The Swing or if we need to upgrade it at all to a, per, uh, a current iteration of the offense. Uh, that's a great question, Zach. So um, I, I think you're safe. From a marketing standpoint, you probably, you know, it's, Name recognition right now, I wouldn't change it. So okay, all right, all right, can, good. You can good pretend we still do a, we still do a traditional swing. Okay, cool. All right, good. Glad to hear it. Marketing people at the office going to be happy to about that for sure. Um, all right, let's let's get into this. I mean, uh, obviously, it's a it's a brand new year. You guys get going uh, exhibition action on uh, on Sunday against UW Eau Claire. You get the season going the following weekend against South Dakota. Uh, a lot of people that probably are all tuned into football at this point are uh, kind of wondering like once, once basketball gets going here, where's Johnny Davis, where's Brad Davis. And they're both gone. So where, how do you fill the void 
really on both ends of the court, uh, but specifically on the offensive end where they uh, handled such a, a large part of your part of your scoring load there. Yeah, I think the first thing, Zach, that you we try to do is not worry about filling the void because it's a different team. So this team is in the process of creating their own identity and guys will find their roles as we get, get deeper into the season. Some of them already been pretty well established. Others are still in progress. But uh, I, I think the when we start trying to compare and say, well, we have to have somebody that does A, B, and C that Brad did or X, Y, Z that Johnny did, we're going to be chasing uh, something that's you know unattainable just because they're not – you know, those guys are unique in terms of what they did. And we have guys that are unique in terms of what they do. So I think the best thing for this team to do is try to focus on the here and now and and become the best team they can be given the, the pieces that we have. You've had a chance to work with these guys for several weeks now. Obviously, you had the, the closed door scrimmage. What is it that you like about your team so far um, from what you've seen? I, th- I think the one thing that really jumps out, Jesse, is and it's it's a blessing and a curse. Is I've got a lot of guys. I got we have depth that maybe we haven't had, and that's good in a sense of the the length of the season. Um, you know, injuries, foul trouble, sickness, all those things. We have depth um, that can step in. I think the the other side of that coin is that you know I can't play all twelve guys. It's going to be really hard when we really get into the heat of our season to have enough minutes for those guys. Um, albeit we have guys that are capable of, we have probably more guys capable of taking minutes and earning minutes than I have minutes available for. So I think the depth of this group is one thing. Uh, I think the other thing that's really jumped out to me and it's helped us really on the defensive end is how competitive they are, and the depth is a piece of that of how we they battle each other each day in practice and it's made practices better. Um, so I think depth and and the competitiveness, and, and again, one goes with the other. And this group defensively, I think, has a chance to be really, really good, specifically, you know, um, on the perimeter in terms of the versatility and the ability to switch things. And in today's game, I think you have to do a lot of that to cover up uh, a lot of teams' actions. So, um you know, I think we're further ahead defensively than we are offensively right now. Um, I think we're still trying to find who we are offensively and throwing in some new wrinkles, as you mentioned, Zach, with the naming of your show. Uh, yeah, we've tweaked what we're doing considerably here without changing, making wholesale changes. Um, but it, it's a group that it's going to be fun to watch because I don't know how there's a lot of unknowns. And that's the exciting part. I don't know what I'm going to see the next day we walk into practice. It's always good but it's always something new. Um, obviously, I mentioned a couple of guys that left. You also had a couple of guys leave in the transfer portal, but you also added some guys from the transfer portal and, and Matt Klassman and uh, Kamari McGee. When you look at how the transfer portal has changed college basketball and, and changed the way that you recruit, is, is it easier now to, to kind of fill holes that maybe it wouldn't have been had guys been able to leave like this in the past uh, and you know not being able to fill that specific spot with those two guys? Yeah, and I think, you know, we didn't – with who left compared to who brought in, we brought in different positions Yeah, left. So – and one, you know, talk about Johnny and Brad before we move too far down the road. The one that nobody talks about is Chris Vogt. Yeah. And and he was integral to us winning the Big Ten last year. He he bailed us out of some dire situations um, and maybe didn't jump out stat-wise, but he made big plays at big times. He helped us in foul trouble situations – um, he helped us actually get a rebound at Georgia Tech. So when we couldn't get one, um, 
so he was big. But you talk about the the guys that have come in. Yeah, Max and Kamari um, have come in and helped, you know, maybe help soften the exit of Johnny and Brad just because they've given us more depth in the backcourt. And we've had to shuffle things around a little bit up front. Uh, I think the guys that are going to be in the mix for that, we're going to be in the mix regardless of who transferred in or out. Um, maybe that's why guys transferred out because they saw who was going to be in front of them. But, um, you know, they, uh, I, I, the transfer portal is here to stay. I think it's the volume of it will change from year to year. Uh, I think COVID is obviously still, you're still seeing some of the ripple effects of that, of kids going to schools that they never got to visit to and finding that it's not the right fit. Um, but it's something we will always have in play. Um, I think to do it continuously at a high rate for us is not a good fit for our institution and, and our program. Um, and But there will be when the need arises and it's a good fit, I think with Max and Kamari, Regardless of positions, they were good fits because they both wanted to they wanted to be at Wisconsin. And that's something that we really have probably focused in on and zeroed in on more than ever in this age is we want guys that really want to be here and understand there's going to be some rougher days. And and those two guys bringing in college experience has helped. You can definitely tell it probably more so with Max and Kamari because there's an extra year of, of playing experience with Max. But um, those guys have both helped us in terms of immediately making an impact in terms of the experience in the locker room. It sounds as though you like Kamari in a potential backup point guard role to Chucky. Um, obviously, he can play quite a bit, but I wanted to ask you about Max and what is it that you've seen from him? Uh, he was, it sounds like a great scorer where he was before, but is that is that the thing that stood out to you? Is that something you think he can provide to kind of lift the the team offensively? I think he can in time, Jesse. I don't think he's there yet. Um, I think the one thing that jumped out about Max was you look at the guys that have been the glue of our successful pro teams over the years, and I'll back back up here in order. Brad Davison, Zach Showalter, Josh Gosser, those type of guys that can score when the opportunity presents itself, but they bring so many other intangibles to the table. And for Max, it's the toughness, it's the competitiveness. He's He plays with the chip on his shoulder. Um, and we've had to reel him in a little bit just because how, of how competitive he is in, in a good way. So that's, the, I think, the number one thing that jumped out for me with Max. And obviously, we watched all the, the stuff from Wofford um, before he got here and, and even on his visit. But I think the one thing that really stood out to me was he – he wants he loves to compete and he and he wants to win. And this is home for him. And he's always wanted to be here. So there's an extra edge of for him to come back here and and be in a place that he's always wanted to be in. But I think the thing that he's gonna be the guy that's gonna, you know, the the loose ball, the extra effort, the diving on the floor. Not that all the guys don't do that, but there's an extra edge with him, much like those other three guys I mentioned that they played with that he has that same trait. I feel like this is a great point to ask this question then. Um, someone sent it in. I was kind of thinking of it as well. You lose Brad Davison, who probably is your career leader in, in charges taken. Is is Max going to be that that uh, that guy that, that leads you in that category this this year? Is there somebody else that stands out? Yeah, I don't I don't know if um I mean there I, I think everybody has the opportunity to. You know, I think Brad just uh you know, he was willing to sacrifice his body. 
Now there's been a little bit of a rule change where you're going to have a class B technical on a flopping warning. There's not going to be any warning anymore. Now it's a, a straight technical. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that impacts it and how it impacts the officials too, because even in our closed scrimmage, there were a couple called that were one was right. And one was not right. And the impact of that is pretty, pretty enormous when you think about it, um, that you go from potentially making a defensive play in a positive way to giving up a free throw and the ball. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because there was conversations with the officials during that scrimmage about the impact of that rule. And they were a little, you know, they're kind of on the fence about it because they got to really get it right because it directly impacts possession. It directly impacts somebody going to the free throw line, um, you know, not just like a warning where it was before. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, I understand the intent of it of why they uh, why they put it in to try to reduce more of the head bobbing. And it's not just the taking the charges. It's the other things where uh, guys were very good actors when they were getting fouled on the offensive end too. So, um, but in terms of who will lead us in charges, um, I think, I think the jump wall has, I think sometimes we've seen our charge numbers go down because we practice with the charge arc. Now we yeah. practice the jump wall a lot. And we had a couple of really good ones on Saturday or Sunday in that scrimmage that our older guys got the hang of it now and they're comfortable doing it. So, um, and some of the younger guys are not sure when to jump, when to take the charge high school guys had didn't play with the arc. So they're not sure they got to know where they're at, but then you got to be comfortable of how to do it in the technique as you jump and not twist and those things. So, um, I don't know if I have a leading charge taker. We'll find out, Zach, you'll find out as I find out as the season goes on. Greg, you talked before about the impact that Chris Vogt had last season. Now, now you're in a spot where it sounds like, from what you said earlier in the week, that you want to rotate some guys potentially in the backup five role. How do you go about strategizing for that? And um, do you feel pretty good about the pieces that you have, whether it's Carter or Tyler or, or Chris Hodges in that capacity behind Steven? Yeah, I do because we've got versatility and we've got different looks. Um, you know, I can put Tyler there and we can switch everything one through five. Um, I can put Gilly there and he understands probably as well as anybody other than Steve of how to play the angles and how to play the drop coverage in the middle of the floor that we use um, and, and not take the bait of running with the ball too far or, or being too deep. And that, that's a, that takes a lot of reps and he's, he's got a really high basketball IQ and picks up on those things quick. Um, and then I've got Chris that, you know, is a bigger body. Uh, more of a banger, not as experienced with the fly trap thing and the and the hedging and the drop coverage. That's the guy that needs the most reps with it. But physically, um, I think the next to Steve, you know, the and he's not even near where he will be in another year of what he can do um, with his body. So I think there's a there's a variety of combinations that we can use there. Um, I like the ability to to exchange or switch a lot of things. I think that's important in today's game to stop the ball and to stop any of the ghost screening or throwback threes and those type of things. So um, we'll we'll see. I think the one thing can we? I think we'll defensive rebound okay, fine because I've watched them how sometimes smaller guys rebound better than bigger guys. Guys, you realize that sometimes, and, and sometimes a lot of times the smaller guys 
meaning six seven, six eight, six nine versus six eleven, seven foot, are better post defenders because they play on positioning more and not dependent on their length. Um, so the best we've ever had here, Mike Wilkinson, six seven and a half. You know, just because of his footwork and he took away angles, he took away touches in the post, and that's always the you know the first thing we tell our post defenders: the best post defense is don't let them catch it. You know, so the smaller guys have an easier time. I don't mean smaller. I just mean the not the seven footers have an easier time with that concept than what the seven footers do. Um, and so how we handle that when somebody really goes to the post a lot uh, or a bigger post player, there aren't many of them. You look at there's, you know, Zach Eady is really the one in the league that jumps out. Coburn's gone now. Dickinson is to a degree, but I call him an average, not an oversized post player. Um, so I think you're more worried about some of those other areas of stopping dribble penetration, rotating, recognizing those things. And I think that the mobility at that position is as good a weapon as the size is. I think a lot's been made of, uh, speaking of size, Stephen Crowell getting bigger, getting stronger. Uh, where have you seen that pay off here? early in, in practice and um, how, I guess, beneficial do you think it will be going into this year? Even though, as you mentioned, all those big guys that, that, that he's had to deal with, he had to deal with last year aren't necessarily there this year. Yeah. I think the number one thing, Zach, that always comes with size and strength is confidence. And, and that's the one thing that I've noticed with Steve is he's a very confident post player. Um, and, I think that's going to pay huge dividends. He's getting catches when he wants to now. He's getting to places when he wants to. Um, you know, I have all these little sayings, you know, be the windshield, not the bug, you know, be the be the boxer, not the bag. Um, you know, he's now getting on the end of that where he's can impose his will will in the paint. Um, so I think for him, it's still going to be how long a spurts can he play in? Because that's a big body lugging up and down the court at you know, seven feet, 245, 248, whatever he's at now. Um, can he play for long stretches? Probably not. I'm going to have to, that's something I got to learn with him of how long is too long and how long is just right in terms of rotating him in and not let the gas tank go all the way to E before I get him out of the game. Um, let him get, uh, and that's something that, you know, we'll learn some of that this Sunday. We'll learn some of it as we go through these non-conference games um, and finding that right balance of how, what's the volume he could take at once on the court of, of the 12 guys or so that you've been playing one of them, Connor Siege and the true freshman coming in. Um, what has he shown you that gives you confidence that he could be a contributor as a true freshman? Uh, he knows how to score Jesse. I think that's the one thing. And it's more than just catch and shoot. And I saw some of that in France where I saw him drive it. I saw him get on the offensive glass um, he's got, we're working on the scrappiness, toughness part. It's gotten better. That's more on the defensive end. And I know he's got it in him cause I saw it in France on the offensive end off some rebounds and some three point plays and those type of things. So I think the biggest challenge for Connor is going to be making the defensive end of the floor instinctual and not reactionary. Cause right now he's reacting. And when you react, you're late, uh, chasing screens, switching out, whatever it may be, rotating. Um, so for him, the the rules, so to speak, I don't want to call them rules, but the system has to become habitual and it can't become an instinctual and it can't be a reactive thing later. Um, 
So that's the biggest challenge for him right now. Um, I think he's shown more toughness, and we've been, you know, obviously instilling that and requiring that of him, um, and that will help him. But offensively, I mean, the ball comes out of his hands as good as anybody we've had around here in a while. They all look like they're going in. Um, so for him, I know as an offensive player, when you have a guy that can shoot it like that, as a coach, I don't micromanage him. You know, let him – he's going away. He might take a bad shot or two, and we'll work on that. But those type of guys, much like Johnny, Brad, he's not there yet, but the ability to – man, he could go knock down six in a row. So it's one of those guys that uh, has that confidence offensively, and I want to make sure he maintains and, and grows that while we work on the other end of the floor too. We uh, talked about Stephen Crowley. You have two other starters coming back in in uh, Chucky Hepburn and in Tyler Wall. Where have you seen their games grow here since uh, you know since last year? Yeah, I think Tyler physically has gotten bigger, stronger, and he wanted to. That was one of his postseason um, points of conversation last last spring. Was I, I played too light? I didn't. Uh, I needed to be bigger and stronger. Um, and I've seen him, you know, change that. I think Chucky in the in a different sense kind of fine-tuned his body, reproportioned it, um, slimmed down in some areas, didn't lose weight, but got leaner. Um, and I think that'll help him with endurance. That'll help him with some quickness. Uh, so they both physically have made changes in the right direction. And they both, from a vocal leadership standpoint, probably Tyler more so than Chucky because he's a year ahead of the the curve, actually two years ahead of Chucky in the program has taken ownership of that and, and have become comfortable in their voices. And then the level of play. I mean, Tyler has been um, dominant in practice at times. And I think that's what, when one of your better players dominates practice, that's a good thing. Cause that tells me his motor is running all the time. And, and you always want your, the best that we've ever had here to have that mentality. They, they dominate no matter what drill they're in, they want to win it. No matter what, four-on-four four segment they're in, they want to make sure their team wins. And, um, you know, he made plays on Sunday that, you know, just took over the the scrimmage. And I think he has that ability. The, the perimeter shooting is something that's gotten better. It's still a work in progress. And as a shooter, you're always working on those things. So um, from a Chucky standpoint, I want him to be more of a playmaker. He'll get a lot for himself. That that's going to come organically. He'll he'll get any shot he wants, but knowing that defenses will load to him and try to take him away and get the ball out of his hands, how can he become even better at facilitating and finding guys at the right time, right place, and, and put defenses on their heels a little bit in terms of you know if they're going to help off of people, if they're going to send guys at him, if they're going to load the box towards him, so to speak, and and take away gaps that he can't get into. Can he make them pay by finding teammates on the other side of the floor? So that's something where Chucky's as we go through the early part here of the season two is knowing he's going to get defended differently, you know, than he, what he did a year ago. Is Jordan Davis kind of, do you see him emerging a little bit out of the shadow of, of his brother? I mean, I don't, obviously they're very close, but Johnny got a lot of attention the last two years. And now it seems like Jordan's going to have an opportunity to have, his biggest role yet. How, how have you seen him adjust to that type of situation? Yeah, I think the the best thing for Jordan was Johnny, and not in a bad way. Jordan needs to be Jordan Davis. So Johnny moving on was good for Johnny, obviously, um, because he had a phenomenal year and and you know put himself in great position. But for Jordan, now he can be Jordan Davis as Jordan Davis and not 
Johnny Davis's twin brother. You know, so I think just from a mental standpoint that it takes some of the weight off his shoulders. I think Jordan trying to understand who he is and who he isn't is still something he's working through as a player. And, you know, I think he's defensively can be very good, really good on the glass, um, you know, and he's got to be able to knock down shots at a consistent level. But at the same time, if he's not knocking down shots, let's not let that snowball into more negative feelings about how we're playing. So that's always with everybody. We always, you've heard me say that, you know, don't let the fact that your ball is going in or out affect your emotions and how you approach the other parts of the game. So for Jordan, I think there's just a, a, a period right now where he's going through, where he's finding who he is and what his role is on this team. Um, obviously I, I started him on Sunday. I'll start him this next Sunday and, um, you know, give him an opportunity to continue to, I think with a lot of guys, we're trying to find their identity and their role within the group of guys they're on the floor with. Uh, Greg, a couple more for you. Wanted to uh, go off the court though here. Um, obviously the Big Ten Network was with you guys throughout your trip in France. We've seen the shows. Uh, great, obviously, reveal with Isaac Lindsay. That was uh, that was a lot of fun for for people to see the other day. But I'm just wondering if there's any good stories that maybe that haven't made the show or or won't make the show to come out of uh, your time in France. Um, well, they showed a little bit, I think, in the first episode of the scooter rental night. Yeah. They didn't show as much as they filmed. <laughs> and they didn't show the head coach kind of going, uh, giving the safety speech. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, that was that was my most worry, worrisome time is when they took off down the hill at night flying all over the place. But uh, everybody got back safe. Tyler Wall sent me a text and being the you know leader that he is, he put the head coach at ease later <laughs> that night when they all got back to the hotel. Cause we had all walked. It was quite a long walk to that restaurant that you saw us at. Uh, and then they ironically found scooters right outside the, the restaurant. <laughs> what, what luck. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And enough for everybody. So they all, <laughs> they all took off on them, which they were, they were kind of, the guys are riding them around campus now, actually. Right. I've seen them more now that I pay attention to what they are. I actually wrote them myself a little bit. So um, that was probably one thing that's not in there. Uh, you probably don't have a whole lot of jet ski footage with me driving. Uh, I don't, I, I have seen the third episode. There's a little bit there at the beginning where you saw uh, on the reveal thing when we, when we surprised Isaac with his scholarship, but um, they had a drone flying over us as we were going out into the Mediterranean with the, uh, with the jet skis, jet skiing, jet skiing on an ocean is a heck of a lot different than jet skiing on Blackhawk Lake yes, or Lake Mendota <laughs> or wherever. I mean, it's, it's completely different feel. Um, so that was an experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, they showed, they were everywhere we turned. I was like stepping on cameramen all the time to the point where it was almost annoying Okay. They were everywhere, but they did it. They did an awesome job. It turned out even better than I thought it would. Um, I've seen the third up. They let me preview everything to kind of give the thumbs up and sign off on it at the end. But they did a phenomenal job of really, I think, showing the important parts. And I, I knew they weren't going to. Third episode is fine. I don't want to spoil it for the viewers, but the first episode may be as good as it gets, specifically with the Normandy visit. That was. That was over the top in terms of just the impact that that had that day. 
such an awesome experience uh, for those guys. Uh, a little bit of different experience coming for you guys uh, on November 11th at uh, American Family Field. It's the Bruce City Battle. It's going to be coming up. Uh, obviously, you guys are going to be facing Stanford. The Wisconsin women going to be taking on Kansas State. Uh, I mean, it's another unique venue. Wisconsin fans have been to a lot of unique venues to watch their teams over the years. Uh, you guys, especially like Lucas Oil and obviously down at Jerry World for the, the two Final Fours. But this is going to be a little bit different, isn't it? It is just um, from obviously it's the first time ever in American Family Field uh, for a for a basketball setup and just the uniqueness. And I've tried to, you know, point out when I've done different media spots, the the length of time that this took to put together. I mean, this is 15 years. I, I worked on this a lot when when I was doing the scheduling for Bo. And there was always one reason or another we couldn't get the thing off the ground. So to be able to have it come to fruition now and and become reality here in in a few weeks is is awesome. Um, and it is going to have an amazing feel. I think they'll do a great job with the setup. Um, it, it'll have a regional final big venue type of feel to it. Um, and, and obviously we've got a, a good opponent in Stanford coming in. Uh, I haven't dove too deep into him, but I know they got a future NBA guy. Um, but it, it'll be great. You're always trying to create experiences for your players. And, and obviously France, we're going to the Bahamas here at the end of November. But these type of one-off events that are become, I think, more popular now that you've seen COVID kind of um, hopefully be in the rearview mirror with, you know, Michigan State, Gonzaga are playing on the ship again. Um, I think it's Gonzaga they're playing, but uh you know, those type of events, I think, are just unique experiences. You you can't do a ton of them. Um, we're giving up a home game to be able to do this. So, uh, But it's an experience that I, there was no way that I was going to turn this down if we could at all make it happen. And fortunately, we were able to have enough people, you know, jump on board here and push this thing through and, and make it a reality. And the Brewers have been great with helping with it. Intersport's done a good job. Obviously, our administration and and Stanford for jumping in with it. And, and um, you know, for a first time event, there's a little, you know, there's a little um, nervousness, especially from an opponent coming in, like, okay, what's this going to look like? What's it going to be? But I think once people see this, hopefully we can make it something that happens every, you know, two, three, four years. Again, if you want more information, go to uh, brewcitybattle.com. Still tickets available. I'll, I'll close with this, Greg. Obviously, you got UW Eau Claire coming in on Sunday. You went up to uh, the Chippewa Valley this offseason for guarding against cancer. Um, the, the numbers really starting to, to pile up in terms of the amount you've been able to raise and, and the good that you've been able to do. Yeah, I mean, the people, Zach, of the state have been phenomenal. And really, that was kind of our our vision. I never dreamed that it was going to be like this, that we were at $7 million in less than six years. Um, but you know, to, to be able to do that event up in Eau Claire uh, back in September, and we're funding four different organizations up there, um, I think 25000 a piece. We were able to to generate between the money we raised that night and what we infused from our foundation here in Madison. To be able to help uh, across the state has always been something. The research, as you've heard me talk about at Carbone and what they're doing is really important. That's you know, that's one of the nation's best right there that we have right here in Madison. But there's so many patient care needs that are non-research based, based and to be able to help with some of those. Um, and one of them we're doing is Joshua's camp, which is up in Eau Claire, which is it's a it's a camp for kids that have cancer for their families, for their brothers and sisters and their parents to come to for a week of just 
having some normalcy, being around others that are going through the same thing, but to have some fun and, and be able to talk to other people and, and just uh, have a good experience, maybe to brighten their days up a little bit when they're going through some rough times. So that's one of them uh, of the four. They're not all identical, but that one really hit home with me watching kids go through that, uh, that disease and to be able to have that type of an experience or help create that experience uh, was something that we felt was important. So, but like I said, the people across the state, no matter where we've been, have been phenomenal. And uh, I can't thank everybody that's had their hands on this and have helped with this enough. It's been an inspiring project for sure. Greg, really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on. Stick with the name. I'll tell you when you need to change it. (laughs) Appreciate it. All right. All right. There he was, Wisconsin coach Greg Gard. Certainly appreciate his time coming on. I'm glad that we can keep the name of the podcast the same. Uh, I was really worried about him saying, no, we, there's no, there's no, there's no implement or there's no uh, elements of the swing whatsoever in this offense anymore, even though, you know, watching it, you could, you can kind of tell that there still are, but either way, glad to be able to hold on to that. So Jesse, Wisconsin picked to finish ninth in the big 10 this year by the media. They were picked 10th last year, obviously went on and won the, uh, or won a share of the conference title is ninth uh, too high, too low, just about right. What do you think? Well, last year, as you said, Badgers were picked 10th and won the whole thing or earned a share of the title. So that'll tell you how much preseason polls matter. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say they'll wind up in the top half of the league. <laughs> um, so, so somewhere in seven the, or higher. Somewhere in the top seven, seven or higher. I, I just think, um, you know, you've got some three core pieces to build around. And I think those three have a chance to be among the best at their positions individually um, in the conference if they grow the way that that I think they can grow. And so it's a matter of answering a lot of the other question marks. I, I think that they will get better over time as a lot of Greg guard coach teams tend to do. Um, and I would expect them to finish in the top half of the league. I'm I'm not going to sit here and proclaim they're going to be co-big 10 champions, but, but it's tough. This league every year is, is really challenging and it takes some time with a new team to, to sort of find that identity. And the other thing is they don't have that Johnny Davis. Here's the ball go get us a bucket to win the game or go score 20 points in the second half. Um, So there are some different challenges with the team this year when you don't have a lottery pick, obviously, on the roster. Right, but Johnny wasn't a lottery pick before the season, right? That's right. He played himself into a lottery pick. However, I'm not sure. I I feel pretty confident saying I'm not sure there's a player on the roster who's going to play himself into a lottery pick this year. That obviously doesn't happen very often at Wisconsin. But but you're right. It, It shows how much growth a guy can make from the start of the season to even the middle of the year that it changes your perception of what's possible for a team. And I would, do you think the big 10 is, is up down about the same? I, I feel like obviously Indiana picked to win it. Trace Jackson Davis, the, the preseason player of the year in the conference. Um, Purdue has Zach ED back Michigan with Hunter Dickinson. Like there's, there are obviously some names in Illinois, uh, a little bit of a transition, but certainly think people, I, I think a lot of people think highly of them, but it's not, I don't know if there's a great, team but i feel like there's a lot of solid teams in the conference would you say that or no i think that's a fair assessment um uh, the ap top 25 has three big 10 teams in in the initial poll indiana's at 13 michigan's at 22 illinois at 23 um again preseason polls not not the end all be all but it it sort of provides a barometer on what people think of teams and, and the conference in general it feels like a year where it'll be a little bit more wide open not necessarily a single dominant team or I mean, a lot of years it's 
conference teams beating each other up. But I think this is the type of year where Wisconsin can be in the mix against a lot of these teams on a lot of nights. All right. So now now it's time to uh, put somebody that is you uh, on, <laughs> uh, on the spot. Is Wisconsin going to make the NCAA tournament as we sit here on October 27th? What? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven months out from Selection Sunday. Are they going to make the NCAA tournament for what is it? It would be a 22nd time in 23 years or was it 21 and 22? Either way, are they going to make the tournament? Uh, Joe Lunardi currently has them in his next four out. <laughs> well, thank goodness we've got a late October bracketology that tells us all <laughs> we need to know. And we probably don't have to play the season. Yeah. I think last year, if I'm not mistaken, I said Wisconsin wouldn't make the tournament or that it, they might That's be accurate. close to 20 wins. That's accurate. I mean, hey, obviously I wasn't alone, but I can admit a year later that I was wrong. Right. I think this team is going to get into the tournament. Um, and some of that has to do with what my perception is of the three leaders on this team and what I think they can be and how much the other players will develop. But that's that's my pick right now. I think they'll get into the tournament. Um, but credit to Joe Lenardi for already having like <laughs> all 76 teams with the, the next four and the next four after that all set up. I'll say this. I, I think... Uh... It's fair to sit here and say it'd be a successful season if they make the tournament. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, last year was an interesting year because there was a lot of disappointment about Wisconsin not making it out of the first weekend in Milwaukee. And yet at the same time, if you look at the big picture of what Wisconsin was able to do, that was a successful season. So to me, I think getting to the tournament with this team would be a success. Obviously, how you feel about a group can change based on whether you get out of the first weekend, but I think so. I think there were a lot of things, and I don't want to make excuses for them last year because you, you play in Milwaukee and you feel like you should be able to win both those games because you're essentially playing at home. But obviously Johnny was not at 100%, and then you lose Chucky to the ankle injury. Yeah. And, you know, it's they didn't have a backup point guard at that time because obviously Lauren Bowman had had gone and it forced Brad Davison into that spot. And it just, it wasn't ideal. So, I mean, I'm, I, I know, as I said, I'm not making excuses for them as I just made excuses for them, but I do think a successful season this year would be making it to the tournament just based on preseason expectations, right? Based on what people are thinking of them right now, a good season or a successful season would be making that. And uh, you say no, right? That's what you said. Or, you know, you say, no, yes. I'm saying yes. You I'm saying yes. yes. You're not, you're not, you're not going to get caught in that from last year. So, cause I, I can't come back in March and be like, <laughs> told you, Jesse, you should have said yes. Uh, now I can be just like, we won't even remember it. Cause you didn't say, um, cause you didn't say no, but I, I get, you know what? I'm going to say, yeah, I think they make the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's going to be the type of year they had last year, which is, I don't think going out on a limb whatsoever. Yeah, I, th- I I think they sneak in. I think they sneak in. And and this year, I will not be making plans to go to Hawaii uh, in uh, late February, early March. Uh, not saying they're going to win the Big Ten like they did last year when I did that, but uh, that will not be the case this time around. So I can't be um, uh, talked down to about that either. Uh, all right. So Wisconsin opens uh, exhibition action on Sunday against uh, UW-Eau Claire. It's their only, only exhibition game. And then they get the season going next week against South Dakota. We'll be back at some point. It may be a little, maybe a few weeks, maybe get some, get a few more games here, but Jesse certainly appreciate your time and uh, we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the swing.